Welcome to Garfield Memorial Church. We are one church in three locations, Pepper Pike, Ohio, South Euclid, Ohio, and Liberia, Africa. Together, we seek to widen the circle through our core values of diversity, safety, authenticity, growth, and forgiveness. To learn more about Garfield Memorial Church, visit our website at garfieldchurch.org. And now, may you be blessed and inspired by our weekly podcast of the message from the 10 a.m. Sunday morning Mosaic worship service. Garfield Memorial Church, widening the circle. That video, don't you love how God rewrites the script, turns it around, um, can bring life out of ashes and and uh, new hope. So here's, if I've met you, I welcome everybody who's worshiping with us online. I'm Chip Freed, the lead teaching pastor here uh, at Garfield Memorial Church. And this is the best part of my message because I'm going to introduce our youth pastor, Pastor Theron Uhlenberg. He is so excited about youth. He jumped me in the front row and said, tell them about this and tell them about that. And I did what I do with everybody else. You tell them about it. Just a quick filler in. I know it's last second, but I was trying to get all the details and all the things worked out as far as how we're going to make this happen. But we are going to have our youth ministry Cedar Point trip coming October 7th. Um, On that date, we will show up here at the church uh, between 930 and 10. Uh, We will head out to Cedar Point at 10 o'clock. Hopefully we can get back here by 10, 1030 ish. Uh, for the kids. It is a $40 charge. If you do have trouble with finances, please just come and talk with me and we'll work that out. Again, that's October 7th. One other big announcement we have is that on the next day, October 8th, after church service, we will be having our meeting for our trip for Puerto Rico next year. So I would love for all the parents and all the uh, guardians of all the children to please meet with us after uh, that service on the 8th and come and meet with me and Chip as we share the information on that Puerto Rico trip for our summer um, youth ministry mission trip to Puerto Rico. Hope you guys can come. If you would like a permission slip for your child for the Cedar Point trip, just see me after service. Thank you, guys. All right. We got the coolest youth pastor, man. I just, I feel younger every time I'm around him. No comments. No comments. Um, but we, we're really looking forward. October's kind of a real focus month for us for youth and children and families. As we say, we're, we're, we'll have our soup sales on October 8th also, continuing to raise money for youth missions. So grab some soup, make some soup if you want to, to let Theron know that, and come to our meeting about this exciting mission trip. Mission trips change lives, I'm telling you. I watched it happen to my, all three of my, young, my children who aren't so young anymore. Um, but they, they really, it, it pierced their heart. I'm going to be preaching on that today. We also have on October 22nd, um, Kids Blitz is returning. Think of it as Nickelodeon in church. It's an amazing thing you can invite your friends to, families. This year, they're, fo- they're focusing on fan blitz. It's a whole new focus, so it won't just be the children involved. It'll be adults and kids and teens. And So mark your calendar for that. There's no charge for this event. Simply bring a non-perishable uh, good for pantries uh, across that are very, very active in this community and beyond on that day. So to mark your calendar. All right. That's three minutes of my message. So I get to, I'm reclaiming my time. So I'll go 33 today. I'm kidding. Um, I I know you guys are anxious to see the Browns win today, right? Um, Yeah. That's a shameless plug for applause and I didn't get any. Only in Cleveland. 
Only in Cleveland can you mention a team and people just panic. No, we, it'll be a curse. We can't clap. Um, only in Cleveland. So we're, we're finishing our series up today about dangerous prayers. Now, if you've not been with us, you might think that's kind of a weird uh, adjective to put in front of prayers. Prayer shouldn't be dangerous. Prayer should be safe, right? Um, but we, I'm making the contention, have sometimes just prayed too, way too safe. We pray way too t- tame. We pray very pedestrian prayers, right? Um, good food, good meat, good God, let's eat. You know, if that's the depth of our prayer life, then we're not putting ourselves out in a position where to really what, do what the Bible talks about, to walk by faith and not by sight. I was really, um, I had a heaviness on me this morning, and it came from our 9 o'clock uh, chancel choir. Before I preached, they sang that great hymn of the church, It is well with my soul. It is well with my soul. And I couldn't help but remember how that hymn was written. If you don't know, some of you do probably in church history, it was written by a man named Horatio Spofford. He was a business person, and uh, he had an engagement overseas that he wanted his family to come with him. So he sent them ahead of of him on a ship over to Europe, I believe to London, and uh, he was going to follow up the following day on another ship and meet them there. There was a terrible shipwreck on that first ship, and uh, he did not know if his wife and his daughters were spared. And he was very, very anxious until he got a very famous telegram from his wife that said, saved alone. She was saved, but all of his daughters were killed. When he got on that ship the following day and went across, out of deference to what had happened, the ship captain stopped in the very spot where the shipwreck took place to honor the loved ones who had died. And it was in that moment, on that ship, in that spot, where he lost every one of his children, that Horatio Spofford wrote the hymn, It Is Well With My Soul. When peace like a river attends my way. When sorrow like sea billows roll, whatever my lot, you have taught me to pray. It is well. It is well with my soul. I just cry when I hear those lyrics and wonder, would I have written a hymn like that? Would I have said a dangerous prayer like that? That whatever it costs me, God, if I'm with you and my children are with you, my family is with you, and the world with you is with you. There's a wellness, there's a peace, Paul says, that passes all understanding. There's a peace that doesn't make sense. And we're not going to attain that if our prayer life is God is good, you know, God is great, let us thank God for our food. I mean, I've said in this series, it's good to invite God into all the daily practices of our lives, even the simple things. So go ahead and thank God for the parking spot. You know, do that. But, but go deeper, go further, as Jesus is calling us to. So our first prayer was, Lord, make me bold. Give me that confident, quiet assurance in my life, confidence in you. Last week, Lord, speak to me. And you say, well, that's a flowery prayer. No, it wasn't for Samuel, as we learned last week. And when you say, God, speak to me, you have to be prepared to hear whatever God says, not what you want God to say, Right? This isn't crawling up on Santa's lap. This is hearing from the architect of the universe who has a claim and a call upon your life. 
who created you for purpose and meaning. And it's not just in our iPhones. Hear what God says. And today, I'm going to challenge you with a prayer, a dangerous prayer, to say, Lord, break my heart. And we turn to this passage in Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy is, I, I say this all the time. It's one of my favorite books of the Bible. Everybody says to me, Chip, you got 66 of those. Um, but it, I love Deuteronomy. It's the last book of the law, the Torah, the center of, you know, uh, Judaism. And it's a book of sermons. It's Moses' last sermons. He preached a lot more than I did. And so the last sermons, right, you got to lean in. And pay attention. And Deuteronomy is such a powerful book. Do you know, I'm not preaching on this today, but do you know in chapter 15, if you read it in Deuteronomy, it, it, Moses says, if, if you follow the ways of this book, if you live this way as a people, you will never have a group of people known as the poor among you. It's a cure for poverty. It's in the book. It said, look, if you live this way, nobody's ever going to be poor. You won't allow it because your heart will be broken over it so much so that you won't be able to live in a world in which there's poverty. Yet we live in a world with global poverty. So we're not walking in that way, right? And so Moses is talking about the great human problem, the big human problem. What is it? It's that when we try to go live according to our ways and follow, make ourselves Lord and Savior, just like Adam and Eve tried to do, representing all of us, not just some of us, when we do that, we become separated. Separated from God, separated from one another. Where do you think all this division's coming from? It's because we want to be right. We want to be first. I want to make the, call the shots for my life. And when that happens, Moses said, you heard the scripture, Flora read, you will be exiles. And literally, Israel did become exiles in Babylon. But they also, he says, this is part of the whole human problem. We will become exiles whenever we follow our own ways and our own attentions. But the good news, Moses said, is we don't just serve a king. We serve the king of kings, and he is a shepherd king. He is not an autocrat. He is not one who is steeped in power. He doesn't, you know, seek to just be in charge and we're little ants on the anthill. He is a shepherd king. He's a good shepherd who leaves the 99 to go get you when you're lost. When you lose yourself, he comes. That's what Paul found out. And he quoted Isaiah. I love this verse. Isaiah said, and Paul repeated in Romans 10, it says, God speaking, saying, I held out my hands all day long to a rebellious people who walk in a way that is not good, following their own devices, following their own social media, following their own compliments of themselves, following their own workout plan. You know, I mean, it's, you fill in the blank, trying to do it their way. And when they do that, they get lost. But I am one who continues to hold out my hands. You know, when you feel guilty, thank God. You know why? God gave you a conscience. And it's a sign that God hasn't given up on you. And be careful because in Romans 1, it said there are some that God will say to them, have it your way. That's the scariest place to be. I don't ever want God to say, you know, Chip, you're right. Have it your way. Be glad sometimes that things bother you. It's a sign of the shepherd king wooing you back, pulling you back into his own heart. 
So the situation is that, that we get exiled, we get uh, you know, away from God, but God has a solution for the human race. It's in this scripture. It says God will circumcise their hearts. So I was tempted to have you pray this week, Lord, circumcise my heart. That's a little gross. We don't like to think about circumcision. It's, got, ooh, it's a little gory and bloody. So I, I did it this way. Lord, break my heart. And some scholars, actually in the English, they are very uncomfortable with what the Hebrew says. So they interpret it, God, change my heart. But that's not what it says. It doesn't say God will change your heart. It says God will circumcise your heart. So first we need to know what is the heart, right? And what is circumcision? The heart is not the seat of emotions. That's what we... um, talk about in modern days we you know heart is with emotions and the head is for reason and thinking the bible knows nothing of that right it doesn't know our head and heart thing the heart is the seat of all of your acting self that's what the heart is in the hebrew it is the center of your acting self the heart doesn't just control emotions it controls thoughts it controls actions it's the things you most hope for that's your heart in the hebrew it's the things you most believe in it's the things you look for the most it's the things that you say to yourself if i had that then i'd be happy then i'd have meaning then i'd have value Right? And that's why for all of us, our greatest joys and our greatest fears aren't the same because we put different things, as unique as each one of we are, in our heart. And God says the only way to fix the human problem is if you put the, in the seat of your being that if I had that, I'd be happy. If I had that, I'd have purpose. If I had that, I'd have meaning. And put God there. And say, if I had God... If I had my manufacturer, if I had the one who is uniquely and wonderfully knit me together, if that is at the center of my life, then I'll have purpose, then I'll have meaning. And that's what God is talking about in the heart. And so God says he's going to circumcise your heart. Now, circumcision was a sign in Judaism in Israel of people make, saying, I'm going to live by the covenant of God. I'm, I'm going to, I'm, and if I don't, I will be cut off that's why abraham walked through the the parts of dead animals when he made the covenant with god and said may i be torn apart like these are if i disobey my covenant to you now if you read abraham's life he should have been torn apart about a hundred times because he kept blowing it and blowing it and blowing it but the shepherd god continues to keep coming after and after and pursuing and pursuing right um But if we put God in our hearts, at the center of who we are, the the seat of our acting self, right, our most fundamental commitments, if we do that, then we'll find the purpose we've been looking for. And that requires God to break our hearts. So pray, Lord, break my heart. When the people were literally in exile in Babylon, if you read the prophet Ezekiel, God sent Ezekiel to be their prophet. Again, continuing to pursue them. And Ezekiel says, God is going to bring you back. He's that shepherd God. He's going to come and redeem you again. But here's what he's going to do. God says, I will remove your heart of stone. And I'll give you a heart of flesh. 
What's the hardest stone? John Wesley, who founded Methodism, I, I love his, his definition. He called the heart of stone, you ready for this? That hard, inflexible, incorrigible disposition. You don't have one of those, right? Freeds are the only stubborn people on the face of the planet, I'm sure. 100%. No, no stubbornness out there, right? No hardness out there. No incorrigibility. No, no uh, uh, you know, um, uh, inability uh, to have that kind of hard, inflexible disposition. Is that, is that hitting home a little bit? There's a hardness, right? That's why Jesus says to the disciples one time when they're, when they're kind of fallen into, into, you know, individualism and who's the greatest, he says, has your hearts become hardened? Is there rocky soil? Before I was in ministry, I ran my own business. It was a family business I took over. We sold pipe uh, uh, for sanitary sewers, storm sewers, water lines, all underground stuff. Let me tell you, it's not very easy to sell pipe and tell people that your pipe is better than my pipe. Because the truth is, if they have holes on both ends, they work. Right? But you know me, I try to sell igloos to Eskimos. um, So I put my little spin on it. And any time we would sell our contractors in Ohio and Western PA... As the weather began to turn chilly in our area, the Ohio contractors have moved down to West Virginia to get a couple more work in. And when contractors bid a job, like I won my biggest account, I was down with him in Parkersburg, and he was putting all the sanitary sewers for the entire city of Parkersburg. Um, but when they bid a job, they, there's one thing they have to try to figure out. Is there rock underground? Because it's a lot easier to plow through soil when you're digging an eight-foot trench than to plow through rock, right? So they do all kind of soil samples, and then they bid based on how fast they think they can lay the pipe in that community. Well, in that Parkersburg job, he got it wrong, and there was a lot of rock. And you know how you get through rock? Anybody? You guys are so quiet. I'll wait. Sledgehammer would be one way. That would take a really long time. Jackhammer. What did you say? Explosives. Dynamite. You got it. But in West Virginia, it was illegal to use dynamite. So you know what my account did? He did it at night. Literally like 2 o'clock in the morning. He decided to dynamite the rock ground because he was, there were no developments in the area he was digging. What he didn't know is he used so much dynamite that he blew some houses off their foundation that were over a mile away. And he paid more in fines than he would have paid using the sledgehammer, right? And I got thinking about that, that dynamite breaks up rock, right? Do you know what the word for God's power is that's associated with the Holy Spirit in the Greek? Dunamis, dynamis. That's where we get the word dynamite. God's power has to come on us and break through that hardness that can develop in our heart. That's what he's saying. I'm going to give you a new job. I'm going to come in and break through. I'm going to break through that hardness. I'm going to circumcise your heart. That's the best illustration I have. I'm going to use dynamite on that rocky stuff. And the power of God. I, would, I will give thanks because the power of God is, is salvation, right? That's what Paul says. It's going to break through. I've been thinking a lot about Paul lately. I don't know why, but I'm thinking, no, you know, you want to see God's power break through in somebody's life. Read the story of Paul. Before he was Paul, who was he? He was Saul, the Pharisee. He knew everything. 
Nobody knew the Bible better than Saul the Pharisee. He had gone to the best seminaries. He knew who the righteous people were, and he knew the people who were being judged. He knew it. Just ask him. Don't you love to be around those folks? You invite them to your barbecues. They're just so friendly. He was sure he had all the answers. He knew the scriptures in and out. But he was circumcised on the outside. But when he met Jesus, he got circumcised on the inside. When he was a physically circumcised Pharisee, he was breathing violence, Acts 9 says. He knew who God's going to send to hell, and he'd just help him get there quicker. But when Jesus came into his life, and his heart was circumcised on the inside, the very people he detested the most became his family, became his church. And he was a heart-circumcised apostle instead of physically circumcised Pharisee. And that's what God wants to do in your life and my life, right? You know, you don't, you, you begin to not serve God out of duty. You can't do your way into the new heart. You can't do your way into the new birth. How many of you know birth, you didn't have a lot to do with it? I mean, you're involved, but you can't birth yourself. Come on, somebody. It's something that comes from the outside, and it's the dunamis, it's the power of God. And Paul was struggling that with his whole life. In Romans 7, if you read it, he says, I, I have Christ now on the inside of my heart, but I still got all these things pulling me astray. And in 2 Corinthians 12, one of my favorite scriptures, one of the ones my college chaplain used on me to break through my hardness of head and heart. Paul was saying, he's still boasting if you read it in chapter 12. He said, anybody should boast, I should boast. I have all this revelation, but I, I got some brokenness in me too. I've got a thorn in my flesh and I can't fix it. And what did Jesus say to him? My grace is sufficient for you for my dunamis, my dynamite, my power is made perfect in your weakness. And Paul responded, so I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses. That's a different person. He was boasting about his strengths. He knew all the Bible. He knew if you were saved or you were saved or you're not saved. He knew everything. He said, now I'm going to boast about my weaknesses. So that what? The power, the dunamis of Christ may dwell in me. Therefore, I'm content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. However God breaks me, he's going to remake me. I'm, 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 I'm glad for the places God breaks me for the sake of Jesus. For whenever I am weak, then I am strong. Break my heart, Lord. Pray that this week. Lord, break through. Put your dynamite on my soul. Now, here's, how do you know if that happens? Three um, symbols I'm going to give you, images, that your heart is being circumcised, has been circumcised, is being circumcised more. One, it changes the way you love. Two, it changes the way you walk. Three, it changes the way you live. Okay? So when, when God breaks your heart, it changes how you love. The Lord your God will circumcise your heart so that you will love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul. It's going to change how you love. That's the first sign of a changed heart. You're going to feel things differently. You're going to, if you go back to Deuteronomy 29, it says when God gives you a new heart, 
You have eyes that see, and you have ears that hear. What did Jesus say? You have eyes, but you don't see. You have ears, but you don't hear. You confess me with your lips, but your heart is far from me. When you, really God circumcises your heart, you'll, you'll, you'll begin to see, you'll begin to taste and see, the Bible says. You'll begin to feel, you'll, you'll, you'll see things through whole new eyes. You'll see people through Jesus' eyes. You'll hear the cries of people through God's ears. When God said to Moses, tell the people I've heard their cries. You begin to see that way and, and it, 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 it begin to break through. You'll hear God say, I hate your religious songs. I hate your festivals. I hate your worship services. He said that name us when you're trample on the poor. When you don't help those who are hurting. Jesus wept over Jerusalem. Why? Look how busy the temple is. And they don't even minister to lepers. And they don't care for people who are hurting. So be careful when you pray, God, break my heart. Because you may have strong political opinions about immigration, about abortion, about gun control, about poverty and government spending. Have I left anything out? (laughs) Try to get all the hot topics I could think of. But when God breaks your heart, you start to have empathy. You start to feel things. You, you taste things. You, you feel other people's pain as if it's your own. When you ask God to break your heart, he's going to break your heart about the things that break Jesus' heart. And you're going to feel it. And it's, it's going to that inflexible disposition in you is going to start to change. And you may be like Paul. You knew everybody, everything that's wrong with the world and everybody who's responsible for it. And suddenly, they're your familia too. It'll break your heart. It'll change how you love. I mean, you know, look at, look at Paul. And, and, and you'll, you'll be happier than you've ever been. And you'll be sadder than you've ever been at the same time. You'll cry a lot. The more I've grown with God, the more I cry. I cry when things are beautiful and I cry when things are terrible. So I cry all the time. You start feeling it, right? Jeremiah was known as the weeping prophet because he didn't just speak God's word and power, but he felt the pain of God. And he said this, my grief is beyond healing. My heart is broken. I hurt with the hurt of the people. I mourn, I'm overcome with grief. Is there no bomb? You've heard that song, the bomb in Gilead. Is there no medicine? Is there no physician? Why is there no healing for the wounds of the people? See, that's not somebody that's just pontificating, right? That's somebody who's growing in wisdom and empathy and sympathy. And that's a sign that God has circumcised your heart. The second sign is you walk differently. It says you will again obey the Lord and follow. You will follow. That's what Jesus said. Follow me. He didn't say this is just expanding your knowledge of Bible verses or getting a perfect attendance pin in church. Right? This isn't mechanical growth. This is, you, you know, you can grow a pile of bricks. Anybody know that? How do you grow a pile of bricks? I must be horribly boring today. I'm sorry. I'll set myself on fire. Um, You grow a pile of bricks by just adding more bricks to it, right? That's mechanical growth. It's from the, don't laugh at me, honey. Um, She's having a ball with this. I'm going to hear about the whole way home. But it's, it's, it's from the outside, and it grows in quantity, but it doesn't necessarily grow in quality, right? But how does a bulb become a tulip? 
Or how does a caterpillar become a butterfly? It's growth from the inside. And it grows organically. And it grows in quality, not just quantity. It grows in complexity. And that's the growth that God is seeking in our lives. And so we begin to follow God, not because we have to, but because we want to. We develop what one scholar talking about Deuteronomy said is a joyful unselfishness. Boy, do I want that. I'm one of the most selfish people I know. But can you imagine just living with joyful unselfishness? See, this isn't, again, about growing in Bible knowledge. Anybody can do that. This is growing deeper. This is growing wiser. This is growing uh, more able to admit when you're wrong. This is growing uh, happier and sadder, as I said, at the same time. Do, do the people who know you best, do they say, wow, you know, Chip's getting gentler. You know, Chip, he's, he's not so judgmental anymore. He, he's more sensitive. I mean, are they saying things about you like that? Because that will be a sign that God is circumcising your heart. My sister, my older sister, I was raised, my, my sisters were nine and 13 years older than me, so I had three moms. Um, and my oldest living sister, uh, you know, she's always right. You can't argue with the big sis. Um, true story, I said salesman once instead of salesperson when I was six, and I got a bloody nose. So I, I did. I mean, I, people, I, people were at Princeton when I was there like, we need to learn inclusive language. I said, I didn't know there was any other language. My sisters would beat the snot out of me. Um, so they're always right. But my sister gave me a third person compliment uh, you know, a few months ago. I just was listening in. And she said, well, you know, my brother is the least judgmental person I know. I didn't know who she was talking about. I, did, I was like, do you have another brother? Was dad fooling around? I mean, what's up? She's like, no, I was talking about you, but I know in my heart of hearts I can be extremely judgmental. But there was evidence that maybe God was doing a new thing in me. And that's why Paul would say, it's me, but it's not me. It's Christ in me. So it'll change the way you walk. And finally, it will change the way you live. The Lord your God will circumcise your heart so that you will love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul in order that you may live. That really struck me. What, what these people weren't alive before? So it's obviously not talking about biological life. It's talking about greater spiritual life. That you're growing in spiritual character. Do you have the new heart? Have you been born again? I know when I say that to mainline people, they get really stuffy. Well, I don't know if I'm born again. Born again is for people who are kind of weak-minded and they really need it. Really? Who did Jesus say it to? Nicodemus? Wealthy, educated, pillar of the community, highly moral. And he went to Jesus and said, hey, you know, you're pretty wise. Am I doing things right? Do I need to add something to my life? He said, no, you need to start over and be born again. That's who he said it to. Do you have new life? Do you have new birth? Have you discovered... A life full of purpose, right? Has that happened to you? If it hasn't, or does it still need more of it, right? I do all the time. I need God to keep doing surgery on me. Not cosmetic surgery, heart surgery. When Peter preached that first Pentecost, what did the people say? It says they were cut to the heart. It was a heart surgery. I, I need the great physician to continue to work on my heart. Years and years later. And how do you get it? Here's, here's how you get it. First off, I'll tell you how you don't get it. You don't get it by asking for it. 
I really want to go back to all the people when I was doing my revival scenes and I had the white shoes and the sprayed hair and, you know, I was out there and, you know, we, you know, we sing the Billy Graham song and come to the altar. And so we just ask Jesus into your heart, right? That's what we say. Oh, just ask him in. That doesn't get you there. You don't ask God in out of duty and say, Lord, come into my life and bless me. You get it when you see how God procured. I love that word procure. Doesn't that make me sound smart? I was in the mirror last night saying procure. Procure. Thank you. And procure comes from the Latin word that means to take care of. How did God procure? How did God take care of rebellious people? He did it centuries after the sermon on the cross of Jesus Christ. That's how he did it. That's, that's what happened. How do we get it? We look at how God procured it for us through Jesus Christ. Because the penalty of sin, what did I say? Is separation, right? If you lie, you will separate yourself from relationships. If you're cruel, you will end up alone. You'll be cut off. And what happened to Jesus on the cross? He was cut. His brow was cut by thorns. His hands were cut by nails. His side was cut by a spear. But he wasn't just physically cut in our place. He was spiritually cut off when he said, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus restored us by taking what we deserve. Does that move you? When you see Jesus being cut off so that you never will be, does that move you? Does it, does it begin to taste it? Do you begin to see it? Do you begin to feel it? Because here's the only thing I want you to remember from this message, right? This, well, the next, but this verse, I didn't never really understood what it mean, meant before I worked on this message. It says in Colossians, in Jesus, in him, you were also circumcised with a circumcision not performed by human hands. Your whole self, ruled by your selfish flesh, was put off when you were circumcised by Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through your faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead. When you see Jesus being cut off for you, if it moves you, remember this. If the way God procured, did I tell you that's a cool word? In the way God procured a new heart for you, if that moves you, that's the beginning of a new heart in you. Look at what Jesus has done. Look at what he has done to bring us back from exile. And as that begins to melt the hardness in your heart, God is circumcising your heart. So give me a new heart, I pray, Lord. Break my heart for what breaks yours. Break my heart and give me a new heart. Not because of what I have done, but because what Jesus has done for me, in me, and wants to do through me. Look at that. And let us stir you up, and God will break your heart of stone and give you a new heart that can love differently, that can walk new and have a a life that's full of hope and faith and love like you've never dreamed. It's possible. So say with me, Lord, break my heart. Amen.